Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Excited to get to this show for you today. No long intro for me. Just going to get straight to it. Two fun guests. First off, my colleague at The Athletic, Jake Seeley, is one of the go-to fantasy football analysts out there we broke down the Washington Commanders from that perspective and I know some of you may not be fantasy football people per se but it is ultimately a conversation about the Washington Commanders and it's just giving I guess I would say this episode is the outside perspective and it's allowing somebody like Jake who does a really good job of projecting what is going to happen in a given year for the different teams we've got his view on Terry McLaurin, for all the hype about Terry McLaurin, obviously. How good is he relative to, or where does he rank, I should say, among other receivers in the real world? It's interesting to see where he may rank from a fantasy perspective. We also had a good conversation about the backfield situation with Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Brian Robinson. How does that all break down? Of course, we also talked about Carson Wentz, Logan Thomas as well. So a really detailed conversation, primarily about the offense, I would say, for sure. But if you're interested in fantasy football, this is a good one. In addition to talking about the commanders, we get into some of the other things, the top, the, the, the top 10 picks, sleepers, rookies, all that kind of good stuff. Then from there, we'll get into the more, I guess I would say, traditional conversation about the commanders. To do that, my friend, one of the co-hosts of the Surviving Snyder podcast and executive editor at large for Entertainment Weekly, Dalton Ross, Dalton is such a great conversationalist. It's what makes him one of the go-to reporters, interviewers out there uh, for Entertainment Weekly. And that's all on display here. We really had a fun back and forth on what to make of this team. And in particular, is there is the optimism that's out there, like I'm not saying there's Super Bowl optimism, but I think there's still generally some optimism with this team. We're talking of the football, not the other stuff. Is it warranted because of what is the tr- what has happened here, not just in the previous years under Ron Rivera, but just over and over again? Are we setting ourselves up for a Charlie Brown trying to kick a football scenario by suggesting that a Carson Wentz addition, uh, adding Jahan Dotson, that you know that the defense making a rebound, that these things will will push Washington above five hundred, maybe to nine, ten wins? Is that being over optimistic? A good, a good thought, an interesting look, and we talked a whole bunch of other topics about this team as well. Um, I tried to get basically the outside perspective here as well and had Dalton play the, ro- play the role of the fan to give me what he's looking for um, to hear about as we get to training camp, which is now one week from today. The players on Wednesday will be out on the field. So we're getting close, people. We are getting close for... Sure. Uh, in case you have missed any of the recent podcasts, I'd say go back and check it out if you've been on vacation or you just haven't had a chance to listen. Recent ones included uh, a one-on-one with Mark Schlereth. I spoke with Joe House from The Ringer and attorney Stephanie Weisenberger about all things Dan Snyder. And, of course, my friend Jerry Brewer, Washington Post columnist, was on, on the guest on my last episode. And we did a deep dive on just kind of where things are with Washington heading into this camp. The, the, uh, a lot of Dan Snyder, Ron Rivera, Carson Wentz talk, but also 
the topic of loyalty in sports seems up for sale more than ever. We talked about broadly about that as well as connecting it to the commanders and their fan base here for sure. So, uh, Excited for you guys to hear this. If you already don't subscribe, please subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on iTunes or Spotify or on the Athletic app. If you're yet to subscribe to the Athletic, take a look at that. I have a new article you can go find. Ten players who uh, need to have a good showing this uh, th- this training camp. You can go subscribe there. Check that out as well. Uh, let's get to it. We'll start with Jake Seeley, and then we'll jump, we'll jump into Dalton Ross. A lot of commanders talk. The Outside Thinking Edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. It is, in fact, that time of year where it is important if you're a fantasy football player, whether you're a casual or you're a hardcore, you really got to start diving in to what is going on out there in the fantasy landscape and nobody better to discuss that. Now, I'm not just saying that because he's we're teammates on The Athletic, but he is easily one of the go-to guys in the world of fantasy football. He is uh, Jake Seeley. Uh, I told you before, I used to read your, your, your rankings before um, I came on to the athletic and, you know, generally I think you didn't do me wrong. So, so, so I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled to, uh, to keep talking. How, uh, how's it going? This is your time of year. It is. It's about to, I got about a week and a half more before I don't sleep until January, basically. So that's what it is. I, I appreciate that too, by the way, even if I steered you wrong, as long as I'm entertaining you, that's what I'm hoping is that you still get a laugh or two out of it. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's no, you know, nobody's going to bat a thousand for any of these things. And I, my, my take is always whether we're talking about fantasy football or important, you know, important decisions in life or why the why an NFL team makes choices they make. Tell me what the logic is. I'm, this, right. I'm always a process guy more than I am a results guy because 100 things can happen along the way that, you know, in, in the case of what we're talking about, injuries, bad weather, who knows? If your if your process makes no sense, then then I, then I then you lose me. I even if even if ultimately whatever happens works out because of dumb luck or some other thing. So process <laughs> is important, and I guess you know I, I, I think yours has been pretty logical to me along the way. No, I definitely appreciate that, and yeah, with the process too. Is, hey, the best part about it is if the people out there saw the draft kit last year. Uh, it was last year it was the first year I did it. And then this year I even took it another step with like auction values and stuff, but I have my projections. But if you say, Jake, your process sucks on this guy, I disagree with you. You're completely wrong. You can go in and change all the percentages and get brand new projections and say, mine are better than yours, Jake. And that's why they're out there. <laughs> well, there you go. So, all right. So obviously if you subscribe to the athletic, you already get, um, all of Jake's stuff, all of our fantasy stuff on, on the site. There's a fantasy tab. You can go check that out. Um, and if you haven't signed up yet uh, and you want some fantasy advice, you know, this is the perfect chance to, to, to do that. Um, we'll, we'll get your view. It's important. This episode of my podcast is getting the outside view of Washington. I'm admitting that I am far too in the weeds with this team. So I need outside opinion on what is going on here. We'll get to them in a second. But you know, we don't have to draft fantasy for this team. We draft them for all the teams. What, what's your view? Because I have not dug in at all yet. I, I, I've historically been a huge fantasy guy. Did some did some writing, pro- prognosticated along the way, but my world has changed. So what, what, give me your just broad view right now of this year in the 2022 draft, your, your, your highs, your lows, what you like, what you don't. How do you kind of view broadly this fantasy uh, world going into these drafts? I would say it comes down to running 
which seems to be the theme year in and year out. And it's just getting worse for fancy purposes, which is why so many people have started to head towards the just don't draft running back, similar to what the NFL is doing. But I've always gone the opposite direction and not to zig when everybody zag type of situation, but because the NFL is leading towards so many split backfields and it's a copycat league. So, you know, you see the success of what Denver did last year with a rookie and a veteran and all the split backfields like Green Bay being similar and people having roles like the 49ers offense that you're getting very few and far between. Now you, you've been around as long as I have to know that the days of 20 running backs getting 300 touches in a year just doesn't happen anymore. There's not every single team doesn't deploy that kind of workload. So I'm very much in the fact of I want, if you're doing a snake draft, at least two running backs in the first three rounds. I'm not beholden to that in the fact of the values there. I'll still take the best value out there. I've come out of drafts where we drafted wide receiver, wide receiver to start. I just, that's the ideal scenario because there's already, I mean, we can talk, we will today about the Washington team and that's even up for debate whether or not there's one true, true, true lead. So that's where I think things are going. And then you're seeing basically the quarterback position is deeper than ever. So I've been seeing this for years and I'll continue to try and get everybody on board, but this is going to be a slow process out there, Ben is try to get everybody to play super flex because quarterbacks are just so devalued these days because you can wait and wait and wait and not even draft a quarterback and get somebody who finishes inside the top 10. So yeah, try to get people to play super flex, but overall the landscape is go get your running backs. Yeah, no, for sure. I've never done a super flex, but I totally understand your point. My strategy for the last several years when it comes to quarterback, unless there's a circum- special circumstance where, you know, Mahomes fell to the fifth round or something, but like, right. I'm just the guy who's waiting. I will always be the last guy in my draft to take the first quarterback. And it almost like last year I waited, waited, waited. And I took some guy named Joe Burrow and that seemed to work out <laughs> for me. Um, and, and it just, you know, yeah, there's just too many, there's just too many guys. Like even just to, just to mention Washington, look, there's a lot of questions about Carson Wentz for sure, but in, that's in terms of wins and losses. But in terms of a fantasy number, you know, they've got some good weapons. He's going to throw the ball. If you told me, like, I wouldn't be thrilled if he's my starter, I would always have like two guys to play with. But if he's going to be like, I think he's like 23rd on your board, I'm thinking Carson Wentz is going to put up pretty decent numbers. And I don't mean to like hone on him, I'm just mean like they're going to be quarterbacks down the list that are going to have good years and maybe even have upside years. So yeah, I think you can wait. I always my strategy. So I'm glad to hear you. Uh, you mentioned that in terms of the super flex and, and that's a good way to sort of play, play around with that. Um, we'll, we'll get to Wentz in a second. Uh, your top 10 uh, you've got, uh, hold on. I just lost it here. You've got um, at the tippy top. Here we go. You got Jonathan Taylor from the Colts one, Christian McCaffrey two, even with, some uncertainty of what's going to happen at quarterback there in Carolina, Derrick Henry three, this isn't a half point PPR. This is, looks like the default setting on the athletic side. W- what's something in your top 10 that for you, not that you're trying to zig where others are zagging, but what's something for you that you're kind of getting, you know, taking a stand on that maybe it's a little bit different than what others are, are, are saying these days. The interesting thing is, I would say it's more the opposite direction from what some people would say. It's not so much a stand positively. I, I generally try to want, like, I I always hope I'm wrong even when 
I downplay players because I want everybody to succeed, but you, we have to do our job. So I have for years loved Austin Eckler and talked Austin Eckler up for years and years and years and years. And we finally just got the Austin Eckler year and he's inside my top 10. So this doesn't sound crazy by being, Oh, he's number eight, but that's pretty far off from where most people put Austin Eckler. Most people put him inside the top five. And I go back to when we started off with, when you asked me the question about the running back position is even Austin Eckler and his greatest is not somebody that the Chargers want or has really, truly been 20 touches every single week. Like a lot of it's 13 and six and he gets close, but it's that split. And I think if you've watched the Chargers and how they've drafted, they've been trying to find somebody to compliment him. And it's failed with Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree. Although I don't know how much people expected that one to work out, but I think they finally found the answer in Isaiah Spiller. So where Austin Eckler's at eight, doesn't sound, you know, still top 10. Like it's a top 10 pick. How bad is that going to be? But a lot of people have them inside the top five. And I just have concerns that as great as the Chargers are, you bring in Spiller, maybe even pass a little bit more with Herbert this year that Austin Eckler just last year was his career year. And that that's a little bit of my concern for there. So I don't want to say like necessarily a stand and I'm completely off of them. But when we're talking the top 10 and you're five spots lower than everybody else, it basically means I don't have any Austin Eckler and that pains me because I love some Austin Eckler. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So let's just play a little strategy here just, just for fun to, to, to help uh, get my juices flowing here. So let's just say you have the eighth pick in a 12-team half-point PPR league and Austin Eckler sitting there on the board. By your situation here, you might say, well, he's if I'm just going off my list, I want to take him. But you also could, well, you know, and I guess I'm hypothetically, Justin Jefferson could be there, Devontae Adams based on looking at some names on, on your board. But if you waited until the second round to take a running back, obviously mm-hmm. you have Eckler ahead of say a Dalvin cook or a Nick Chubb, but maybe you're saying like you're a little concerned about Eckler, but maybe you kind of like those guys in that value in the second round. So like, would you, in that case, like, would you go Eckler because he's eighth on your board and take um, uh, somebody else later? Or would you maybe say, you know what? I don't, I don't know what the make of Eckler. He, I got to put him somewhere. It makes sense to put him at eight, but let me take one of those receivers and I'll deal with the running back in the next round. Yeah, I could, for Eckler, I think the upside of my being wrong and like, let's say maybe they just carry over that workload from last year. He stays healthy and Spiller ends up being a disappointment is, you know, rookies are no guarantee as we've seen. I would take that upside there. And that kind of goes to something I'll say about my rankings overall is, so I have two sets in the, when people download the pr- projections, that spreadsheet, there's one tab. That's my rankings by projections, the projections. This is everybody at one point. If you got more points, you just go down the list more and more points and you go down the list. There's a separate tab that are my rankings, which won't be how the projections are. And because, so what you're talking about with Eckler is I'll actually go to my 12th player off the board and that's Saquon Barkley who nobody seems to have that high. And what it comes down to is it's that that's how Jake Seeley is going to draft. I'm going to draft for some upside in some places where you can argue that Nick Chubb is safer, you know, sure. But Nick Chubb is going to finish as the 12th, 11th best running back every single year. If Saquon Barkley is 100% healthy, I'm trying to look for league winners. So Austin Eckler in this situation, because of his upside, I would take him at eight. I'd even debate him at seven uh, where you see in my rankings for my personal rankings. That's basically how, Jake Seeley is drafting. Now, if your team makeup comes into play, so let's say, let's take Austin Eckler out of the equation. Let's say my first pick, I was picking inside the top three and I took Christian McCaffrey, who you mentioned. That's a big risk. 
would I take Saquon Barkley with Christian McCaffrey in the second round? No. And I love Barkley. That would come down to like, all right, I took McCaffrey. Let's balance out some risk. Same thing of like, if you drafted DeAndre Hopkins later with a suspension, do I want him as my third wide receiver? Really? No, because I got to make up for those six games. So that's where team makeup will make me differ from my rankings a little bit, but for all intents and purposes, when you see my rankings, that's how I would personally draft. Gotcha. Uh, I'm looking a little bit further down your list here. You've got Debo Samuel just inside the top 20. It's such an interesting case. Now, based on last mm. year, that seems like an obvious, sure. Debo Samuel is freaking great. And he gives you, he gives you the receiver element. He runs the ball, you know, he's going to give it to you in a variety of ways, but there's mm. the whole contract thing. He, you know, what he wanted out. I don't know where we're at now. I guess he's still there. But then you have the quarterback deal, and I know some people are really high on Trey Lance, but you know he more or less hasn't played. And I remember when Trey Lance came out uh, in the draft, there were, I, I, and as somebody who like, does some draft homework, I remember talking to some scouts who were like, he might need two years to really get going because you know the the, the, the jump he was making, didn't play much of last year, those types of things. So how do you kind of factor that in with, with that whole variable, not just Samuel the talent, but the contract slash, this quarterback change and an inexperienced guy who, and by the way, it looks like you have Lance at 15. So you're somewhat optimistic yeah. uh, on him. Well, so a couple things are at play here, especially for fancy purposes, optimistic on Lance, because I go back and what I reference for Lance a lot of times is the same thing I said about him coming out of college is that I see a lot of Josh Allen in him. And I mean, the flaws and there's no guarantee he'll ever become even close to Josh Allen. But if you look at their styles and their flaws and concerns, and as you mentioned, some people, including myself, I thought Lance needed at least a year, if not longer, hopefully he's ahead of schedule because it looks like he's the week one starter. It's full blown. Trey Lance time, which I'm okay with fancy purposes. 15 might even be low because Josh Allen's second year. Uh, we talked about this on the athletic podcast last week, miserable passer, Mis like barely over 3000 yards, 20 passing touchdowns. And everybody forgets that in fantasy because he finished inside the top seven quarterbacks because he ran so much. And that's the appeal of uh, uh, Trey Lance. The similarities where I'll draw with this too is I'm out on Brandon Ayuk, and not just because of the recent reports that, again, he's the similar reports to last year. I feel like we're doing, like, did we not just go through this last year with Ayuk? But the style of Lance is similar to the style of Josh Allen, as you will know. How do you get an inaccurate passer better? You find somebody, instead of doing the Carolina Panthers version where you say, let's get them six, five dudes who can't get open, you get guys who get open easily. And Ayuk is talented, but the one who fits better, and if you look at Josh Allen and what he's been able to do with Stefan Deggs and even Cole Beasley before that in the 2019 season is somebody who just has that short to intermediate, just elusiveness, gets open easy. Uh, I think Kittle will help him as well. But I think that if you look at it, somebody has to drop off. It's not going to be all three. I don't expect all three of them to succeed with Trey Lance. And I really think Ayuk's going to be the one, un unfortunately, to fall to the wayside, which Debo Samuel, whether or not he gets as much run as he did, and that, that mean that literally run as he did late last year, right. I think he's going to be the favorite target if not maybe side by side 50 50 with Kittle. So the volume I still expect to be there. If we were talking IUK, that's my bigger concern with Trey Lance. All right. Um, I look, there's nothing that people like more in fantasy draft than drafting a guy that they can pretend that they're like Magellan and they discovered this guy in their league. This is the <laughs> I told you, I, I said this guy was gonna be that guy, especially when it comes to rookies. This is always the the fun thing. And I was just before I, I was looking this up and I was like thinking about who was picked high in the draft. Drake London 
was right the uh, it's been a minute he was the first receiver picked um, by Atlanta mm-hmm. in the top 10 and you've got him in the 20s you've got him I think one spot ahead of Terry McLaurin in fact one or two spots ahead of McLaurin but looking here it looks like you've actually got Brees Hall who was picked in the second round by the Jets I want to say is your highest rookie am I am I right on that mm-hmm. yeah the highest yeah uh, highest running back too so, of all the rookie yeah so he may you know rookies tend to you know as we get closer to draft days or towards the season, they probably tend to go up in value because people get excited about those guys. Who's your favorite rookie? Just like on a pound for pound basis. doesn't have to be the guy you have the top rated. could be somebody just way below, like just based on wherever they're going to fall in the draft that you just really like that guy for the potential, the upside, whatever. So it was Brees Hall, uh, but that feels obvious. Uh, the pure like that I just fell in love with was Drake London. Um, but if, if we want to go a little bit, because those feel super obvious, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson was like the safe one, but I feel like the ebb and flow of this player is just weird to me. It's actually Jamison Williams, which is not anybody sitting there is not gonna be like, Oh, what a surprise. Like he was tier one wide receiver for me. If anybody's ever seen on the site, uh, you know, obviously we got some of the best draft covers there there is, but I do my own for fantasy purposes and I do mine in tiers because as you know, in fantasy, things fall so much of where did you land and how does your role and similar like the Traylon Burks and looks like Robert Woods is already passing him or pass him because he's healthy. Uh, I go back to Jamison Williams. And it's like, it feels like the draft happened. Everybody's super excited. And then we just went quiet. And I understand it's the concern of whether or not he's ready for week one. But there was the talent of he's in that tier one when he's alongside uh, London and Wilson and whoever else, if people some had swapped the ones in and out of there. But I go back to Odell Beckham for the Giants. And people seem to have forgotten that even though he missed four weeks, he still finishes a top 10 wide receiver that year. Now, granted, tons of volume from Eli Manning that year. But... If you're telling me Jamison Williams gets on the field a little bit before October and then October, he's 100% full go. And of course there's risk there, but 100% full go. I think the mystique of Jared Goff and the stink of the Lions is dragging him down too. Jared Goff, three straight years. I say this time and time again, three straight years. His wide receivers went 900, 900 together, 1,000, 1,000 and 1,100, 1,100. He can make people valuable even if you don't like his play. And Jamison Williams, if healthy, is an immense talent. I think people are just so excited for a St. Brown and DeAndre Swift that they're just completely overlooking one of the best talents in the draft. So I have a ton of Jamison Williams so far because he's going 11th, 12th round because people are concerned about the injury. But you know what? I'll wait. And if you're telling me from October on, I mean, you're talking about a potential top 25 wide receiver that you just have to wait a few weeks. And plus that receiver, there are always guys you can start. I mean, you know, yes. there's always, I mean, yes. format obviously can change it, but there's always guys that you can uh, plug in there if you want to wait, like you said, a month or, or whatever it might be for a guy like that. Um, two quick questions, and then we'll get to the commander stuff. Um, who is a player, independent, wh- anywhere, wherever, that when you're doing, I don't even want to know how many drafts you actually do. I can't even <laughs> comprehend the amount of math. I don't want to. But, but like, who is a player that you like, if I get this guy in every draft, I'm good. Just you just, I mean, obviously, if, if, if you could get, Jonathan Taylor, that might be, you know, easy. you know what I mean? Like sort of, you know, not the obvious top, top five, top 10 guy. Who's just somebody you just everywhere you can get this guy. You, you want to take him. So uh, I'll give you, uh, you know what? I'll give you a bonus. I'll give you two. Uh, they're both breakouts. I did a series. I do every single year, the top breakouts at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So a running back and a wide receiver. So the running back is Cam Akers, not a big surprise. And he's not super far down my list, uh, but 
if I look at last year, this is one I love that he's getting downplayed for his value. And everybody's like, well, he came back and didn't even average three yards a carry. You know, Ben, we came back from an injury that nobody's supposed to come back from that fast. And on top of it, he faced some pretty tough defenses. But what did they tell us in the playoffs and with the Super Bowl on the line? They treated Cam Akers like a bell cow running back coming off that injury. If that doesn't tell you what they want to do with Cam Akers and how much they trust him, I don't know what more you need. Like I say this all the time, watch what the team is telling us by their actions. So I am all over Cam Akers this year. I love Cam Akers this year. Uh, Everybody's on Gabriel Davis and rightfully so. So I'll give you one more that like a lot of people might not be so high on, but it's in a similar situation with Rashad Bateman for Baltimore. Uh, the Lamar Jackson talk, whether or not you get involved with, I mean, people out there get involved with, oh, he should be a quarterback or he needs to move on or he's not that great of a pet. Like, whatever. We've seen how good he can be. I don't think he's necessarily going to get back to the 30-plus touchdowns like he did for the MVP-type season. But Rashad Bateman fits, in my opinion, fits better than Marquise Brown did. Not that Marquise Brown didn't do well. We saw him do well with Lamar Jackson. But similar to what I was saying before is just, when you have Lamar who extends plays similar to Russell Wilson with Tyler Lockett, I feel like that's the fit that Bateman brings Lamar Jackson. And if you talk about what Tyler Lockett was able to do for years on end with Russell Wilson, I think you're looking at a potential thousand plus season and multiple six, seven, eight touchdowns to perform a nice combo with Mark Andrews. And he's, he's easily one of my favorite breakout wide receivers this year. I, I love Bateman coming out of college, so I, I do like uh, that one. Um, and we, we mentioned before about quarterback and waiting or whatever. Again, uh, some guys at the tippy top, if you could pick anybody you want, you might take Mahomes. But who's a quarterback if you're – maybe especially if you are waiting, but independent that, like, this is the, the guy for me I'm sort of targeting wherever I can. So I mentioned – it's funny. Yeah, I mentioned Lamar Jackson. So to go back to my projections uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm not saying this to be like, ha-ha, look at me in my projections. I'm saying this because I can – no, it, because that's what it's going to sound like. But sure. I'm actually saying it to say I even second-guess myself. So during that MVP season for Lamar Jackson, I'm not kidding you. Nando can back me up on this. I did my projections. Lamar Jackson came in as the number two quarterback. This is before it happened. And I said, Nando, I was like, I feel like I got to pull this back a little. This feels a little bit too aggressive. Let me rethink it. And I force, I manually forced my projections back a little bit. I said, that touchdown rate, let's pull this back. He's not going to run quite that much. And I pulled him back to QB7. Where did he finish? QB1. I say all that to say, Jalen Hurts checks in as my number three quarterback. I'm not pulling him back this time. I'm not making that mistake again because Jalen Hurts is going to run not quite as much as Lamar Jackson, but similar to Lamar Jackson is getting all the hate for Look how inaccurate it was. I don't think a lot of people realize that he was over 60% completion percentage last year. Not, that's not world-breaking, but it, I think there's too much hate on him for a poor receiving core. He lost Goddard at some points last year, as has been the you know basically Dallas Goddard's career. But you had a rookie who's a deep threat that is a very nice – Devontae Smith is very talented, but he's not a true number one, in my opinion. And then we saw that Jalen Rager was a bust, got passed by Quez Watkins and everything. You have another year of this offense being designed for Hurts, and what did they do? They brought in one of the best wide receivers in the NFL for Hurts. And again, he's going to run. All he has to do is throw for – 3,400 yards and like 25 touchdowns and what he runs for Jalen Hurts is going to be in the top five. You know, what's interesting about, about that is that when we talk about who are the best quarterbacks, I always used to think this in the connection of Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady before Brady kind of put that conversation to bed is that we (laughs) live with these players 
for 16, 17, 18 weeks during the regular season. And that becomes the predominant view of how we think of these people. Therefore, because we live with Peyton Manning, who is maybe the best regular season quarterback of all time, his view gets elevated, except that when we're discussing who is the best ever, we're actually discussing what they do in the postseason because that's where ultimately everything kind of gets judged. The Jalen Hurts thing feels like the opposite, where people are saying, and myself included, I don't buy this guy as the guy who's going to take the Eagles deep into the playoffs, that he's going to make the throws needed there. But that has nothing to do with weeks one through 17. All I need him to do is whatever, do what you just said, throw for those yards, run the ball. That's fine. I don't care as a fantasy owner, if on third and seven, he's making the the needed pass in the playoffs, that isn't relevant. So it is sort of the reverse of how I view when we talk about the all time situations. It's a very smart way to look at it too. Is in a lot of times, um, this is why I have another article that's going to be coming out for the draft kit. I always do last year's trash, is because it's the perception, and that's like I, I was burned by this player. I don't want to ever go back to him. Perception dominates so much in fantasy, as you just mentioned, and like a lot of times I go back to Jared Goff. Like the stink of the Detroit Lions carries over to so many of their players, and it's not their fault, and they're doing fine fantasy wise. Some of the worst teams can have some really great fantasy players, and that's where when you take the advantage of the perception versus the reality in fantasy, that's, I mean, you're winning right there 20% of the game. <laughs> for, for sure. All right, let's get to the to commanders. You, you, you teased earlier that we have a question at running back, uh, no doubt. Antonio Gibson has been one of the more productive running backs in the mm-hmm. league the last couple of years, but they added Brian Robinson. To me, it looks like they added Robinson because they were at their best last year when they were a time possession kind of a team. Gibson fumbles. Gibson has gotten hurt. Uh, he's still productive, but he, it's hard to be a little steady with him as an offense based on what he's done the last two years. You still have McKissick. You have Gibson. Now you have Robinson. So from your perspective, how do you assess that situation? Yeah, actually, uh, your breakdown is part of the things I referenced on the podcast, too, is my biggest concern is what happens if he loses some of those goal line carries like what that what does that mean if we're looking at a full blown committee that's the downside and. I think if the if you're on the Antonio Gibson side of things, the ideal world is that Brian Robinson struggles at the NFL and struggles to connect from day one and then all of a sudden he's a non factor and it's down to Gibson and McKissick, but I'm saying even in that best case scenario as you know better than anybody McKissick's going to be involved and McKissick's going to be a very heavy pass catcher out of the backfield so if you're saying McKissick gets 70 80 targets I have him for 70 how much is that left over for Antonio Gibson and I go back to what do teams tell us and what has Washington been telling us they've been saying like I know what he did in college but they just don't want Gibson doing that much in the past it's not like they don't ever use him but we all sat here when Gibson came out of college and it's like oh my god if he's the lead he's going to be a bell cow because all he did was catch passes in college and then they said no screw that we're not doing that in the NFL right so that's the concern here is that McKissick would have to miss time again and so whether McKissick got hurt or Brian Robinson's you know struggles to connect in the NFL Unless one of those two scenarios happens, you're just looking at so much of a split. It's not a bad thing. As you mentioned, he's still RB16 for me. He's not that far down the list. But uh, a lot of people coming off of what he did last year, as you mentioned, great on a per-touch basis, one of the best. The concerns have me, you got to bake those in. And I think that if you're looking at the people that want to take him again as an RB1, you got one camp, and it seems to be the other camp is I'm completely out on it. It doesn't seem to be there's a lot of people like myself, Ben, that are like, I'll, t- I'll still take him as RB16. It seems like there, there's one, the masses are on one extreme or the other. And I think we're in an okay scenario where even if it is a complete committee, 
he can still get 270 touches and 270 touches from Antonio Gibson is going to put him inside the top 20. Right. I've been saying, I I've been surprised how they haven't used him as much as a receiver, as you mentioned, in part because of McKissick, which is why when McKissick went to Buffalo for 10 seconds, I thought, okay, this actually kind of makes sense. They're going to, because of my sense already by that point was they wanted to add a, a, a more of an in, interior runner to go with Gibson and then move Gibson more to maybe not the third down role, but to more of a pass catching role. Now they have all of these things around them. So yeah, it's going to be wild. Certainly one of my big questions in camp is, can we get Ron Rivera to tell us what's going to happen at the goal line? I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know if we, if we, uh, if we get that, um, you've got Terry McLaurin as your number 23 receiver and number 62 overall. And I can hear the fan base saying, Jake, are you serious? They just, we just gave this guy insane money. We, we, we're telling the world he's one of the five, six, seven, eight best receivers in football. How dare you rank this guy, our hero that low? How, what do you say for yourself? So it's, this is coming from somebody that loved Terry McLaurin. Um, oh, hold on a second. I'm pause right there. I just got connections unstable. So yeah, we're, Still good? Am I breaking up? You are breaking up a little bit, yeah. Okay. Do you want to wait and see what's back? Okay, like, I got new router coming tomorrow. So, all right. Am I good now or still breaking up? No, you're good right now. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. I didn't want you to get a faulty recording after this. All right. So, I'll just pick up from when you asked the question. Sure. Yeah, see, I knew this one was coming, uh, and this this is coming from somebody who loved Terry McLaurin coming out of college. Actually, uh, to the late Dwayne Haskins was part of the reason that I thought there would be a better connection with them in the NFL is because of what was going on with college with them, and that Dwayne helped Terry McLaurin be Terry McLaurin and vice versa. So I love Terry McLaurin, but this just really comes down to my opinion, and we haven't got to the quarterback position yet, but... It's an upgrade. I'm not saying it's not an upgrade. And this has nothing to do with the fact that I went to ODU and I love Tyler Haneke. That has nothing to do with it. It comes down to watching them play. Haneke wasn't as bad as people believe he was. And he played some good ball, especially for fantasy purposes, but he played some good ball with Terry McLaurin. And yes, some of the passes might be a little bit more on target and the touchdown to interception ratio is definitely going to be better. But at the same time, my biggest concern is Terry McLaurin with essentially... No real competition for targets for the past two years has kind of peaked. Like, where is he going to go from here? Is he going to get 170 targets? I don't think so. Now, if maybe no one else steps up, Curtis Samuels lost again, Logan Thomas gets hurt again, Jamie McKissick gets hurt again, maybe he does. But I just look at the, the, the makeup of this team and what they've been trying to do, and they were trying to find more answers for McLaurin. I feel like He's just peaked on his volume. So what would have to happen? He would have to get to 10 to 12 touchdowns. And if he does, I'm completely wrong. And everybody's going to call me an idiot and deservedly so for having him at 23. But it's more so the wide receivers in front of him. I just see either increased volume, increased touchdowns, or whatever it is. Like I said, the, he's he's essentially had everything to himself the past two years and has still peaked out at like wide receiver 15. So that's really what it comes down to. I don't hate him. I just I just don't know where he has to go up. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the upgraded quarterback, but he he has had almost no help opposite at receiver this whole time. They brought in Curtis Samuel last year. Obviously, in 2021, that was a bust. Now the Samuel's back, we think, and they draft Jahan Dodson. So even with Wentz being there to give him a, a chance to maybe make more plays down the field, there's also two guys now coming in who presumably are going to snipe a lot of uh, – targets plus we just mentioned the running backs there's three guys at least there mm -hmm. um and, and then we also have tight end at, at logan thomas who's a, a weird one because he's over 30 he's coming off an acl the, 
it's, it's not that sexy of a situation at, at all, but when we had to do a fantasy uh, preview the other day, they made us pick one guy as a breakout. And this is a, it's stupid to pick the guy I just said as the breakout. I could have gone Dodson, but like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, that, that seemed too easy. So I went with mm-hmm. Logan Thomas because they don't have any size at receiver. He's a six, six target, which would give them size at Carson Wentz likes that. Carson Wentz has thrown more passes to tight ends, I think, since 2017 than any quarterback not named Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. If Logan, I don't know if Logan Thomas will be ready week one. If he is, I just seems like Carson Wentz is going to like that. Logan Thomas had a very good 2020 year, obviously. Last year, just derailed by injuries a bit. So I like him there, but I'm not saying, like, go draft him high and tight end is sort of, a, you know, you draft one guy and then kind of find a, a, a bye week aisle along the way. Uh you, you, you buy into anything I just said as to Logan Thomas being interesting, assuming he's got some good health. So real quickly, before we go to Logan Thomas, I just wanted to circle back sure. on McLaurin real quick as that's my dog Barkley, by the way, if you don't know. Oh, Barkley really? Nice. <laughs> Barkley for the play on words and Saquon Barkley. So I'm not a homer for everybody out there that already heard the Barkley part, but uh, the, the Terry McLaurin in the last two years, yeah, wide receiver 20 and wide receiver 38 in points per game, just to give you an idea of the perception as we talked about before that he's been better. So, to Logan Thomas, why I really like that call there and what you think about Logan Thomas is uh, we were talking on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, and I mentioned similar to what you're saying here is that if you go down this roster, you have McLaurin, you have Curtis Samuel, they drafted Dotson, Diami Brown's a deep threat in like a Mike Wallace role. They don't really have that big body, that red zone, I mean, real red zone target to rely on. And it's not just that they don't have it, as, as you mentioned as well, is Carson Wentz likes an option like that. So whether it's Logan Thomas, as we saw how good he could be, even without Wentz, because it was the other quarterbacks before he even got here, uh, it could be a great fantasy option. It was top 10 in points per game, uh, just staying healthy. And if it's not him, uh, yeah, I mean, you can tell me it, as of today, it's early. We'll have to see how this plays out. But if it's not him and if it's John Bates or Cole Turner, I think – Wentz needs he needs the Logan Thomas role, whether it's Bates or maybe there's a surprise at wide receiver that shows up or a veteran that signs late, but he needs Logan Thomas. And if Logan Thomas is healthy, I think, yeah, you're looking at a great value because I don't think anybody wants him at this point. No, no. I mean, it would be you definitely don't need to draft him. And, you know, right. I mean, somebody will be that guy, but it's hard to say like anybody else would be. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Cole Turner's a day three pick. I mean, Cam Sims is a big receiver I've always liked they they never throw the ball to so you know I can't say that, that he would be the guy so um I'm with you on that oh all right let's just get to Wentz uh you know I, I made the hypothetical before that if you wait on quarterback you could have hypothetically look at a guy like that but stomaching you know drafting him you know hypothetically thinking it and stomaching it are different things <laughs> where, where are you at on Wentz not just for fantasy but just the overall because if he doesn't play well then it's you know derails the whole situation it does. And, you know, back when Wentz came in here, something I, I referenced earlier is I actually broke this down during the free agency period and compared Wentz to Tyler Heineke and said that if you look at Heineke versus Wentz and whether or not you want to play the eye test, which is always smart, but also like if you want to go down the metrics route, which is what a lot of people do these days, is if you look across the board, their numbers in whatever you wanted to pick, you could pick accuracy. Uh, yards per route run for his receivers, uh, average depth of target, which people like, you just pick him one. And it was Wentz and Heineke were almost neck and neck. The biggest difference is Wentz was a much better touchdown interception ratio. We know Heineke took too many risks, and we know especially in the red zone, he loved taking those risks. 
and that was the downside of him. But for fantasy purposes, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, you referenced earlier in the show with Jalen Hurts, we're talking about winning games versus fantasy are completely two different things. Wentz absolutely gives the commanders a better chance to win games. But for fantasy purposes, I don't think that the, the difference is going to be that stark. And that comes down to Wentz himself, where when you get into this range of quarterbacks, you mentioned Tom Brady before. When you get to the essentially past primary value in fantasy, you got to throw for 4,000 plus, probably mid 4,000s, and you got to throw 30, 35 touchdowns. To be a QB1 is if you don't run, you just you just don't have value. If you look at Derek Carr last year, everybody loves some Derek Carr this year. He threw for 4,800 yards, but only three touchdowns and barely ran, and he wasn't even a one because he didn't have those numbers with him. So while I think Wentz is good for the real-life commander's team, fantasy purposes, I'm off of him. And it's nothing to do so much with It's just I am going to take a Wentz or a Matt Ryan at this point or any of those type of quarterbacks because you have to be Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady-esque to be top 10. I'd rather take a risk on even Trevor Lawrence, who ran for 300 yards as a rookie. I'd rather take that chance because if he runs for 500 and they put up similar passing numbers, he's going to finish a ton higher because he ran. Yeah, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I keep saying to people when it comes to the commanders this season in general, I'm sort of optimistic about their offense because at a minimum, Carson Wentz gives you more upside, bigger arm, more mm-hmm. talent and all that. And that's notable. And like I had somebody tell me, I mentioned this in the previous podcast, mentioned this to me some time ago, not, not recently, some time ago, that Terry McLaurin might be better off waiting a year to sign because with, with Wentz's ability to throw deep, his numbers actually could rise. Now that was before they drafted mm-hmm. Dodson. And, and you mentioned some other reasons why maybe McLaurin doesn't really jump up numbers wise. Um, so there is some hope there, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's a lot of questions. There, there's no, there's no, there's no argument. It's what makes predict projecting them this year, uh, such a, uh, crazy, uh, challenge. Um, all right. Last question. This is 100% self-serving. I'm in a keeper league. Here are my options. Yes. <laughs> I know this is the question you absolutely love the most. I'm sure I, I got Jav- it's a PPR league. I got Javante Williams okay. from Denver in the fifth round. He was that you mentioned before that the rookie veteran combo, and he really had a nice breakout. So running backs fifth round doesn't seem like a bad play. However, I also have Devonte Smith in the ninth, which maybe not as exciting because you got AJ Brown, but you already mentioned Jalen hurts, but I also have Joe Burrow in the 10th. And while normally I would, like I said, wait on quarterback, Joe Burrow in the 10th. I mean, that seems like a pretty good deal. So (laughs) how do you look at sort of that split backfield versus Joe Burrow is a lot guy. And I don't know if you think Devontae Smith's even worth being in the discussion. So two rounds later for Devontae Smith might be in this conversation. So uh, only because he's probably only going in the seventh or so, if I'm kind of estimating off the top of my head, I haven't seen recent ADP, but uh, it comes down to Burrow versus Javante Williams, and yeah, it, it would be nice. So I will say, if I do get a top seven quarterback like Joe Burrow, I generally don't draft the second quarterback, and it could be easy. And as you mentioned earlier on, he's like, like Mahomes falls to the fourth or fifth or something like that. I usually don't get quarterbacks myself, and I love that you got Burrow in the tenth. Uh, but, but. Javante Williams finishing as a top 20 running back, even with a supreme 50-50 split as a rookie. I, For me, I don't think the split's completely going away. But 
this is why you look at what the Broncos did this offseason. They they basically asked teams to sign Melvin Gordon. They did everything they can to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And they're like, all right, I guess we'll bring him back because we didn't draft anybody. And he's still really good at this point of his career. I don't think the split's completely going away, but I think it'll still be 60-40, maybe 55-45. And if that's the floor for what we just saw for Javante Williams, even in the fifth, I think you have to take him. I haven't signed my top 20 running backs. I actually haven't signed my top 15. And to get that in the fifth round, I would love to say Burrow, but I think you could find another Burrow. I think you could wait. Hell, we just talked about him. You could take Trey Lance in the 10th round, and potentially that's your new one for this year. Right. Yeah. You've got Williams like 23 overall Burrow 53 overall. So to some degree, they're kind of like, there's good value in either way, but yeah, I, I, it's hard to pass on, uh, on the, uh, the running back uh, for sure. Well, but and you th- said this, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like real quick, you talked about, at the, I'll go to back to the beginning of the show. You said you want reasons and thought processes behind everything, which is what everybody, that's what you should. This is how you should play. I look at it like this. You have Williams in your pocket and I mentioned how much I want to get running backs. Well, what if you're sitting there and let's say Devontae Adams falls and now you take Devontae Adams and then you're sitting there and all of a sudden T. Higgins falls to the second round. He's still there and you're like, man, I cannot pass up on T. Higgins. You have the safety net to say, like, I already got a running back and now I can, as those as I don't want to, I could go wide receiver, wide receiver because that the values are so good. A hundred percent. I you know, I, I want to keep Joe Burrow because I like having uh Joe Shice or whatever we're calling him for fun. <laughs> I'm going to get the chain and everything if I keep him, but yeah, the value is there. You got to take, got to go with the running back. Uh, I really appreciate you indulging me on that last one. And if you want Jake to answer your questions, the dude answers more. He answers like every single question anybody asks in the comments. So I don't want to burden him here, but like, if you, if you go to his stuff, ask a question, I would bet he's going to answer because he seems to answer every single thing that's there. This is what he does. Uh, in addition to making great uh, fantasy predictions and thoughts, over on the athletic so go check him out or check out our whole team dude i really appreciate it uh best of luck i will try not to bother you too much in slack when i have to make some other decisions here but we'll see what happens yeah of course i have no problem with it you know how that goes i'm, I'm here for you guys first no i'm kidding i'm here for the commenters first and then you guys <laughs> yeah absolutely um awesome man i appreciate it good luck with you and barkley over there and uh and your router and we'll uh, we'll talk soon it sounds good all right man see ya all right, and joining me now on the progress, on the on the progress on the podcast. You gotta keep it, keep it. Yeah, it's yeah, so good. yeah. We're just gonna go with it. Uh, he's a re- he's a returning guest, one of my favorite ones. We would talk about the, the 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 commanders, also talk reality TV. It is Big Brother time of the year, the absolute dumbest show I watch any given calendar year. But but he is a smart guy. He is the executive editor at large for Entertainment Weekly and one of the co-hosts of the Surviving Snyder podcast. He is. The great Dalton Ross, my guy. Yeah, so we just, you know, you're you just got to plow through these things sometimes. I I I love. So you know, it's interesting, Ben. For those that don't know about um, us two, uh, Ben is a Washington Commanders reporter who loves reality TV. I'm a reality TV reporter who loves the Washington Commanders. I'm not sure which is sadder. Uh, but that's just our lot in life and we have to accept it. And uh, whenever, you know, Ben's been kind enough to come on, on our, our surviving Snyder podcast. And I've been on Ben's a few times. It always feels like a classic 1970s love boat fantasy Island crossover episode. Uh, just like I would get so fired up for those uh, on, on Saturday night. So no, it's, 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 it's great to be here. I love your podcast. Um, 
And one of the things I love about your podcast, I was thinking about this, is your theme song. So I love your intro music, Ben. And I will say I'm really into intro music. And when it comes to Surviving Snyder, like our podcast, it's all right. It's okay. I will say the best thing about my podcast is our intro music. And it's, it's for those that don't have a podcast, you have to find essentially free internet music you can use, right? Like, so you, you can't like, you know, just take any song you want. Right. You go to these like, you know, deep reservoirs of like a million clips and you listen and you, you pull one. And I really like um, the intro music we have on my podcast. And I really like yours as well. Yours has like a hip hop, little hip slate hip hop vibe to it, Ben, I feel gets me in the mood. My, my, my guy, Joe Glorioso, uh, picked this out for me a few years ago when I was doing, I wasn't, it was way before The Athletic, I was doing some other podcasts and yeah, I, I liked it uh, immediately. So it was important. I, it's so funny you brought this up because I swear I was literally thinking earlier today, <laughs> this is how ridiculous, who has the best intro music among the different podcasts? Because I was listening to Al Galdi's podcast. He's got some good intro music. I don't even, I think Kevin Sheen, I think just kind of goes right into it. I don't even know if there is any, but I was thinking to myself, that was, I think it's because I was editing the podcast I'm going to put up later today on Monday. Uh, and I was playing with the intro music anyway. So it's so funny to me that you brought that up because it was literally I, just on my head. I think you should do it. I think you should get everyone to send you there and, and like do an intro off. And I got to be honest. I, like I said, my podcast good, maybe not great. I feel like it's good, but our intro music's great. I love our intro music. It's like a, a sort of has an epic MCU feel to it. I get fired up every time I hear it. So all I'm saying is, if you do the intro off, I want in. I want in, and and I think that I I'm not saying I'd win, but I feel like I'd place respect. Res, res, it'd be like respectful the way I go. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good. You know, maybe somebody will get to. I will say I had a. Um, this is not a humble brag. I had. I won't say who, but like uh, somebody who's like a recording artist who's had records is you know somewhat known, uh, who has listened to this podcast. Uh, told me he hit me up one day and said hey why don't you use one of my songs for your podcast i'm like oh sure and then when i circled back to it he might maybe he might have been under the under the influence of something at that moment because <laughs> when i circled back he was like well we have to check with his record label i got oh, well that's not gonna happen that's the whole point like you said you have to find the free stuff off uh off the internet like when bill simmons is doing and here's pearl jam i don't know who you know how many hoops he had to jump through to get that but yeah that's a whole other level of uh a whole other level of stuff um, all right, we'll work on the uh, we'll work on the intro off. Yeah, uh, I like for, it for sure. All right, so training camp is coming up. The season is you know September 11th is the opener, and you and I so we discussed. Hey, come on the podcast. What are we going to talk about? And here's what I thought about. I, I haven't felt to this degree before of being in the weeds, can't see the forest through the trees, that type of thing that I do this off season. Now maybe that's because the Dan Snyder stuff is so overwhelming. There's the obvious talk of Carson Wentz. You know, we spent so much time on Terry McLaurin's deal. That's at least over with. But then we had the Jack Del Rio stuff. And like, there's just, I, I know what I think about all the time because it's certain topics I have to think about all the time. I look at my colleagues of the athletic who have much more free flowing opportunities to write about the left guard battle or how the, how the second year linebacker is, you know, developing, you know, we have one of those here actually, but you know, those type of things. And I get, I, I can't sometimes focus on like, what, what else is out there? What else is important? What do the fans want to hear? And I thought, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll have Dalton here in the role of the fan. He is a fan, but he's speaking for everybody. <laughs> and what is important? What do people want to discuss? What do they want to know about beyond just Carson Wentz 
and some of the more obvious headlines. So that's why that that's going to be your role today. I feel that you are, you know, you are the the foremost journalist on uh, Survivor and other shows, and you deal with people all the time. You have to think outside the box constantly for your job. I figure perfect role for you. So it's interesting because when we on Surviving Snyder, we had a thing at the end of the year, like what is the one thing beyond fixing the quarterback position? Because we hadn't yet gotten our new quarterback. What is the one thing that you really want to happen this offseason for this team, right? Like what is the, the thing that has to happen by the time they line up on opening day? And my thing, which I think a lot of people would agree with was sign Terry McLaurin to an extension. So I feel like everyone was really focused on that. Right. Now that's done. Like, Thank God that's done. So, so to your point, like, what is it now we're supposed to focus on? It's kind of interesting because, you know, our buddy JP likes to talk about Ashburn syndrome and how we we'll all convince ourselves things are better than they are. Players are better than they are. You know, if this happens and ands and buts, like everything's going to go great. And of course it never happens. So I'm, I'm sensing a weird feeling of optimism among a lot of you all the reporters people covering the team and the fan base and i kind of wonder why a little bit like there's the i mean you know what i mean like yeah. it's like haven't you been bitten enough by the snake to know where this is going now we all sort of agree that we should be better at the quarterback position and that's the most important position right so we we, we can argue about how good Carson Wentz is going to be, but I think we all feel like he's going to be better than what we've had. But, but beyond that, really what's changed. And, you know, I, we always get so fired up about our draft class when they've shown us absolutely nothing. And especially at the wide receiver position. So here's my question where I'm going to put you and all your reporter bros on the spot, because the hype that I am hearing coming out of minicamp on Jahan Dotson is insane. And I don't want to believe it because my heart has been broken so many times by similar hype. Let's go back 12 months, Ben. The Deami Brown hype I was hearing. One year ago, 12 catches all year long. Let's go back to 2017, Terrell Pryor. That, I've never heard more breathless reporting on a guy in training camp than Terrell Pryor. These uh, one-handed yeah. catches he's making. And like, it was insane. 20 catches he made all Terrell, year long. The Terrell ben, Pryor you, one in real time, I was like, no, nuts. this is not a thing. Stop, stop with this. But no, I'm with you. I mean, De'Ami <laughs> Brown is a great example. Third round pick. He looked really good in camp. Um, and then obviously the season played out the way that it uh, played against out. Against air. Right. It, it's a, ben, you and I are old enough. We go back to the 90s. Do you remember like every year we're hearing, oh, this is the year, Michael Westbrook, this is the year he's going to do it. Dude ended up like once going over a thousand yards. Once. I mean, he the, the best thing he did in train, well, not the best thing, the most notable thing he did was punch out Stephen Davis. So I guess what I'd ask you is, even if you're feeling it or you're noticing it from other people, why? What is the optimism about? Is it just the quarterback? Is it, uh, you know, the rookie class, which by most accounts, and you're the draft guru, Ben, by most accounts, we overdrafted at almost every spot. So what is the enthusiasm? It's a great question. Here's my honest answer on this, because I've thought about this myself as I go on the different shows. I was just on with Kevin Sheen earlier this morning. We're talking on Monday morning. 
And, uh, you know, we're talking about the team. And I, I think part of it is that on offense, the talent upgrade from where they were when, say, Ron Rivera took over is significantly better, right? I mean, we'll see if Curtis Samuel plays here practices, but the idea of having McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dodson, who did look really good, doesn't mean he's going to become the rookie of the year or anything like that, but he did look really good. Um, he looked good in a way that was it's that's sustainable. It's not just that he runs a 4-2-40, but he runs fast. He catches everything that's thrown his way, and there's a, there's a mature confidence about him, not arrogance, but confidence, and that's kind of what I wrote about the other day with him. And I'd say, go check that, that article. If you haven't read it yet. Um, I think that's part of it. And then combined, you've got a bunch of running backs. You mentioned Carson Wentz, whatever you think of him, there's an upside to him just based on his physical tools and his upside. I also think like we, I I can't speak for every reporter and, you know, I certainly try to keep emotions in check and and I don't, you know, I, I don't get caught up in, I want something to happen. Therefore I'm going to push the narrative. I've, as Wizards people know, I was pointing out positive things that Ernie Grunfeld did, even when everybody was telling me, oh, you're, you're he's, you know, that's ridiculous because, you know, why would you do that? Well, if he made a good move, you make a good move. So that's how I kind of operate here. I think on some level, as human beings, we're just looking for something positive because honestly, what, it, what's what been positive to, to, to discuss with this team for months, right? I mean, it has been a long time now. It's, it's, it, you know, it, it, was, it was January 4th, 2021, when the fine came down for Dan Snyder. And obviously it was a year before that when all of the stories of uh, organizational um, culture and harassment things started. We It's been going on a long time and it's really accelerated. I think over the last year as Congress has gotten involved with multiple investigations and things like that. I, I just think we want something to upbeat to talk about. And I think that, and I think the, that their talent upgrade gives us that opportunity a little bit. Plus we still have the, the defense, the defense, the line in particular, you have the four first round picks. They obviously underachieved last year in totality, but their talent is still there. And thus, if the defense can be middle of the pack and the offense can be closer to the middle of the pack, this team won seven games last year. I still don't quite know how they did that. Um, then, you know, maybe there is but, hope. And I think to me, that's at least part of it, but I think there is some legitimate talent upgrades on offense. Uh, but do you notice how we're always talking about hope? We're never, t- this is our, our lot in life. Yeah. Over the past 25 years, we're never talking about the known quantity. We're talking about the unknown quantity. And we're hoping that the unknown quantity is going to be good. Like, we're not saying, oh, we were this good this year, so we should be this good. Like, it's always like, well, if Chase Young starts playing better, if Montez Sweat starts playing better, the linebacker position is a, just a disaster. You know, if things in the secondary work out, it's all ifs, ands, and buts. It's never, we can point to this, that this, that this worked. And so we know that we've got this set. We don't know about the D line. We, we, we want, we think, we hope, but we have no evidence that we have a great, we've been calling it a great D line for years and they haven't really been proving it. Although like other than a, you know, a brief run two seasons ago. So I, why are we, we're always banking on things that we shouldn't bank on. And I, you're right. I, I get what you're saying, though. We need the hope. We need to be happy. And I mean, if we want to bank on Curtis Samuel, if you think that's a solid bet, we can do that. <laughs> so, no, I no, I, no, no, I, I say I have a, a, an article out on Monday morning about 10 players that kind of need to or 10 people that need to step up and camp and Curtis Samuel's very I didn't rank them in, in order, but Curtis Samuel was high on the list in part because, yeah, we need to see it. We can't just assume based on anything. 
anymore because of what happened last year. And he needs to, he needs to, uh, to, to do it. You know, know what's interesting. Like you mentioned the defensive line. I, I think so much hinges on that group. If we ranked which people in this organization have the most pressure on them, I think Ron Rivera is atop the list. Chase Young might be second. You know, I mean, it was so disappointing beyond the injury last year, what he was, what he was doing um, out there. Um, Totally. I I agree with you hundred percent. And like, here's the thing I said about Chase Young during his rookie year, like love what he does on the field, love even more what he does on the sidelines. Like no one's rooting for Chase Young more than me. I love the energy. He's like, he's like, he's like ML Carr in the 1980s waving his towel around rooting on the Celtics, except he's not a bench warmer. You know, he is, he is, he is like our top allegedly defensive player and he's just going crazy firing up. I love it. I want that guy to ball out. Clearly it didn't happen last year. Right. Um, Things happen, but, but, you know, obviously so much always, you talk about what is there to build on? What is there to say, this is a tangible thing that, that this team has what, and go from there. You know, we, we talk all the time about the need for a quarterback. And I guess I knew this in some level, but I didn't like look at this since 2017, starting in 2017, Carson Wentz will be the six different week one starting quarterback in six years. Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, uh, Case Keenum, Dwayne Haskins, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Carson Wentz. That, that, that is that is the definition of, of, you know, instability, right? If you don't have not even multiple years. And obviously there were extenuating circumstances, namely Alex Smith's injury, but that's the, that's just simply the reality. So when you don't have any form of stability at that most important of positions, it's going to, the whole thing is going to feel particularly um, un, uneasy, especially if you don't have a defense, it's at least maybe it's not, it doesn't have to be the 85 bears, but it isn't consistently a good one. And last year, obviously they were massively disappointing on that front. So you're right. There's not, and I think that's also one of the reasons why people were so desperate to keep McLaurin because it does feel not just as he a talented receiver, but he is a, an incredibly stable human piece in a, in a, in a land where there's no stability. It feels like almost ever. And I think that's almost the, but that if, whether people realize it or not, I think that's almost what they were clinging to beyond the acrobatic catches and things like that. Where do you put and not projecting, but like, let's just literally base it on 2021. Where would you put out of 32 starting quarterbacks? Where would you put Carson Wentz? Um, it's a good question. I mean, probably, probably sort of an exercise I should like do for real. I mean, I would say like, you know, top 20, but I can't go higher than, I don't even know if I could get as high as 15, but I think, I think I understand when people, other analysts or outside people completely crap on him based on what happened the last couple of years. I get it. But at the same time, you have to look at it from the perspective of what this team has had. He's a clear upgrade. No disrespect to Taylor Heineke or anybody else who's come before him, but he's a clear upgrade in the, in the physical tools as well as the potential. Um, and we'll see. You know, I, I always like to believe that when we talk about, oh, this guy can't get any better. This guy will never work out. I'm always like, you know what? People mature. I don't. But human beings typically... <laughs> human beings typically do mature and improve and if, and the ones who are dedicated work on their craft. And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying Carson Wentz isn't at fault for whatever happened the last two years. He clearly has, the, he, uh, there's enough smoke there. The, 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 the houses are on fire, which is why those organizations decided to move on. But in talking to some people with, with the Colts, I think a lot of it, like this sort of the bad teammate stuff, I think has been overplayed 
to a degree. And it's just a matter of, dude, you've got to figure out how to, how to run the offense, what throws to take, what not throws to take and how to just be connect more with, with people. And if he can do these things, we may not hear a, a, a lot about the concerns that we heard the last couple of years, but I'm not going to sit here to your point of like, what can we bank on? I'm not banking on that. How could you after what we've seen the last couple of years? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I sort of, I would put him in that 18 to 20 range last year. So, I mean, that's an upgrade. That's higher than I would certainly put Heineke. So I, I find myself, even though I think it is absurd how much money we're paying for him and how much we gave up to get him. Absolutely absurd. I find myself getting excited for him just because I want to see again, Terry, who I just have the biggest man crush on possible. I, I, I'm excited to see what he can do with a, with a big strong-armed QB back there. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it ends up, but I, I, I do find myself good, but you know, we've been excited about getting other quarterbacks before. I mean, anytime Andy Reid traded us a quarterback and how did that go? You know, I mean, Brad Johnson worked out for one year. That was nice. But, uh, you know, usually when we get these veteran quarterbacks and you can go back one year, even uh, it doesn't work out for us. No, for sure. I mean, that's look, part of what makes the Carson Wentz situation uneasy. You know, you mentioned the money and the compensation. The It's not even so much the money and the compensation. It's that why did you have to give it to them? The, yes. the Colts were, were up against it to a degree. And I, my sense is that the Colts were fronting that, hey, we don't have to move on from Carson Wentz. You know, look, and the Colts did take a huge risk, right? In the sense that they didn't know how the market would unfold. They got off Carson Wentz and had no quarterback for a little bit until the Matt Ryan thing kind of l- luckily for them shook out. So they took a risk, but they, I guess, could have, you know, you could have believed it, but you didn't have to. If you, if Ron Rivera hadn't put Washington in a position in which he basically said, we are going to get a better quarterback. If he doesn't do that, then they don't have to go do the Carson Wentz thing. They could have just played it out and waited to see what would happen. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, whatever. I think they panicked a little bit on that front. And so they, I think that to me is part of that's it, uneasy. It's not even just that the, what the cost is. It's that it's like, oh, really, dude, you really had to, you, you, you know, do, you know, act, the, the, the whiff of desperation is in the air. And I think that's hard to get out of our nostrils. And I think that is part of it on top of the fact that Carson Wentz hasn't looked particularly uh, fantastic the last couple of years. Yeah. It, it, you know, I was thinking about this just recently, when is the last time we did a trade where you felt like we got the better end of that trade? Like this goes all the way back to Clinton Portis for Champ Bailey, where we threw in a second round pick. We threw in the second round pick. And then, you know, you could the TJ Duckett. I mean, you could just, there's so many examples of terrible trades where even at the moment you're like, wait, what? The, The Alex Smith trade. You know, wait, why are we throwing in Kendall Filler? They, we, everyone knows they have to get rid of him. But that's another, um, it's another good example. It's, it's, it's constantly reacting to the situation. I always said the Alex Smith trade was they were breaking up with their girlfriend or they were, or maybe I should say they were divorcing their wife and they wanted to get, they were going to get in a new relationship before the other person did. And that's why they moved the, the Alex Smith trade. Did you need to do that? I don't know. I mean, Alex Smith is fine, but like, yeah, I mean, not, and, and they paid him a ton of money too. It's always a reaction to something. It isn't just, the organic move of why are we doing this? What's the point? Let's find the good value, be patient, all that stuff. And yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, that's a whole other organizational I- issue that, that we don't have to get into here per se, but yeah, I think that's a hundred percent that, that, that feeling of rushing desperation prove, you know, why, why are we, why are they always doing that? 
Speaking of organizational issues, you asked what the fans have been wondering about. I know this was sort of last week's news, so but I, I do want your take. That whole top 90 players, franchise players thing. Right. Trent Williams originally left off the list as an option to join it. Trent Williams, um, you know, the, the, had the best pro football focus rating of any player like the other season, of any player at any position. Uh, Hall of Famer was not on the original list. Legitimate oversight, Ben, or pettiness from the owner? What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, I almost hope it's pettiness from the owner. Because if it's the oversight of the of the of the rest of that is that's almost worse. Like I mean, it's it would be bad enough, but you know we all like petty feuds. So if in fact Dan Snyder <laughs> did that, you know, okay. Well, I, I mean, not not okay, but okay. But if you're just saying so, you, let's put together a list, and somehow you didn't include Trent Williams. I mean, that is preposterous. There had to have been some acknowledgement, whether Dan Snyder was involved or not. There had to be some acknowledgement to the way that relationship fractured. Um, that led to it. I don't understand how it could be anything else because, you know, if we just forget, what is it? 80, not 80 players. If we just did top 20, Trent Williams is yeah. probably on the list, arguably on the list that he's at a unique position where he may not even be that. We may not even rank him as the number one or two tackle, but you know what I mean? Like he could be somewhere in the top 20, let alone the top 80. Yeah. You know, I'm a busy guy, Ben. I got a busy job. I work a lot. I have a, I have a family, I got two wonderful kids. I've got three cats. I know that's close to your heart, Ben. Sure. Got to take care of them. But instead of thinking about all that, I find myself often thinking about Jason Wright because I can't figure this guy out. I'm really confused by Jason Wright because when I hear Jason Wright talk, I'm like, God, this guy's smart. And this guy, like I could see him running for office. I know everyone says that, but like he's so smooth and not like in a smarmy smooth way, like Bruce Allen was right. Like everyone said Bruce Allen was like a politician, but that wasn't like the smarmy gross way. Jason Wright's almost like an inspiring political speaker when he talks and like, you're like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. He's going to put everything together. But then I look at like a lot of the sloppiness of the organization since he came around. Right. And I'm not talking about the terrible stuff, like the sexual harassment. That's like another level. So I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about just not dotting the I's and crossing the T's, that last minute Sean Taylor dedication, the porty potties, having the wrong years on the on the crest, um, like scooping themselves by inadvertently putting out team videos that showed the logo and the name, the name of the team, uh, all the spelling and the year mistakes on the top 90 list. This is all stuff that's happening under Jason Wright. So I don't understand what, who's the real Jason Wright? Is he a really bright guy who's a really running an organization well, or is is he sloppy? No, look, it's a great question. And to use the, your political um, mention there as an analogy, you know, we see this every two to four years, especially when there's these years of like large, like fields running for president and somebody will be like some hot shot will come in and they'll be they'll give a really good speech or there'll be some 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 dynamic that makes them a compelling figure but then once you start to get into the weeds a little bit they actually have to run the campaign you're like oh you start hearing the stories about what's going wrong with the campaign and you know it's not as if necessary like jason wright is the one combing over the list of the of, of who are going to be the players to vote on but it's you have to put the people in the position to do these things. And look, obviously Jason Wright's a smart guy. You mentioned just sort of being a compelling figure and inspiring figure. And I totally get that. And I, I've joked to him about, Hey, you know, what, you know, you know, 
when, when does the political campaign yeah. start? When do the donations uh, kick in? Those things like that. Um, he also didn't have experience in this field, right? I mean, he came from, I mean, he had experience being an NFL player, but he was not an NFL executive. Uh, I'm not saying you always have to be somebody in, a, in an organization like that to then become the president of a team, but, I, and I, don't, I haven't done the math. So maybe I'm wrong on this, but I would imagine people who are presidents, unless it's some sort of a nepotism type deal, it's somebody who's either kind of gone up through the ranks within an organization, or maybe they came from an outside place where they were already sort of that high ranking level. And he was a consultant at a, at a firm. And again, he clearly is a smart guy, but you know, didn't have that experience. And then on top of it, he's coming into a mess of a situation. He had to clean up. It was a cleanup on aisle six the second he showed up mm-hmm. and he's had to bring in people, many of whom seem like very qualified uh, executives or people that could help, but they're not also necessarily from this world. And I think they all had to do that versus like coming into an infrastructure and saying, Hey, you're coming into um, entertainment weekly. We already have these great people and these great editors. You're just the overseer. There was no structure here. So he really had to do a lot. So that doesn't excuse Things like all the examples you just mentioned that doesn't seem like it's that complicated. The porta potty thing is always insane. How do you, you know, it's, it's crazy. It, it, for, forget, forget you're running a team. This is for your Instagram. Are you, do you want to stand in front of the porta potties or do you want to stand in front of a, a, a nicer look that, that, you know, stuff like that doesn't, I don't quite get that, but yeah, I, I think it's a good question. And, you know, look, I do think that it, independent of the Dan Snyder stuff that Ron Rivera and Jason Wright, who have been put out there as sort of the saviors of this group, look at these guys, don't look at that guy, which is reasonable as human beings, certainly, and as they've done some good things, but it's also reasonable to ask, well, what is going on here? And I, there's clearly been enough reason with Jason Wright to, to do that. I'm always fascinated, too. I find myself thinking, like, what does he really think about his boss? Like, what does he really think about Dan Snyder? And of course, he'll never tell us. But like, I feel almost feel sorry for the dude, like having to work for Dan Snyder, the worst owner in professional sports and having to sort of either defend or deflect or having to answer for these things because, you know, he's off in his yacht avoiding subpoenas uh, like halfway across the world. And so it falls on Jason Wright and Ron Rivera. And like, they know on one hand what they were signing up for. There was plenty of evidence what they were signing up for. But it's still, it's got to suck having to do that on a day in day out basis. Yeah. I mean, uh, you obviously uh, watched uh, Clerks at some point in your life. Yes, I did. And there's a scene where they're talking about um, what about the random employees who are working on the Death Star? Not, yeah. not, not, not the stormtroopers, not Darth Vader, but like the janitor or something. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. And like, that, you know, what, what, boy, that guy, that guy, like bad luck for that guy. And somebody else is like, ah, you know, you know who you went to work. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. dance hired Darth Vader. Just, but like, you know, I'm just saying, like, if you, you, we, we all make decisions where we go to work and uh, you, you know, you kind of know, it, it's not like you walked into a situation that had no idea, like at least Ron Rivera, he already knew about dance hires reputation, but the harassment stories didn't come out until months into Rivera's tenure. Jason Wright was coming in with this already on fire. So he clearly knew what he was walking into and, uh, you know, he's hoping to, to, I, like I said, I do think they have, I, my sense is that, you know, in terms of those day-to-day, the day-to-day culture, I do feel like there's been improvements. They have made a lot of changes in the personnel staff. I do think he's brought in people that, that, that seem like pretty good people. Um, and so I think that day-to-day office life 
he's better than what this, the, the horror stories we've been hearing about for the last couple of years. But at the same time, you know, the actual well, job of running this team to help not just win football games, but promote it feels like there's some work to do. Well, I'm glad that you made it clear that you're not comparing Dan Snyder to Darth Vader. Cause Darth Vader redeemed himself at the end. And there, I, I, I don't ever see a day where Dan Snyder is going to redeem it. He's Palpatine. He's not Darth Vader. He's Palpatine. He's still shooting lightning from his fingertips as he's being thrown over the edge. You know, let's just hope he doesn't get cloned like in the rise of Skywalker. Let's hope when he's, when he's done as owner of this team, he's, he's truly, uh, truly done. Let, let's hope that. Um, so what, what, uh, what else is out there in your, in your mind as the, uh, as the, the voice of the fan, what are the, some of the other, I don't know, is, a, is it a player? Is it, is it a position? Is it a stat? What's the other thing out there that you think we need to, as, as the media contingent sort of keep an eye on or focus on, or, or you guys want to know um, as we go through these next uh, few weeks? Well, I think that, you know, you, you look towards the, the good, the, the things that get you excited. And we've talked about that a little bit, like maybe we've been too excited or, you know, in terms of the offense and Carson Wentz and wow, if maybe he's going to have all these weapons and that'll be great. And so, but then you look at the, at the concerns, right? And I think that the biggest concern, no shock here is the linebacker position and is the linebacker we overdrafted in the first round last year, Jamin Davis. I remember on, on uh, our podcast, Surviving Snyder, I said to the guys uh, during um, preseason last year, once we'd gotten through a few games, I said, you guys concerned about Jamin Davis yet? And Rick and Brendan, these are two former Survivor players I do my podcast with. They're like, nope, no, not at all. It's preseason, whatever, whatever. I'm like, all right, but, you know, I don't know. I'm getting concerned. And uh, the concern was, was warranted, clearly. And, you know, we always make ex- excuses for rookies. Uh, it's also hard when you have a linebacker down in Dallas who's just becoming one of the best players in the league immediately. Right. It's also hard when Ron Rivera said, Jamin Davis is going to be my Luke Keekley. He's going to be out there every play. He's going to be running the defense. And that clearly did not happen. And so I guess the question I'd ask to you is, and, and of course you can't answer, is Jamin Davis a flop? So I won't put you in that position. But I guess what I'd ask you is, what are the chances he's going to turn out to be a very productive player because they seem to be slipping uh, by the minute. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing is, right. It can't, we can't say whether he'll be a flop because time, you know, we still have more to do. And he did. It appeared that he'd had a better OTA mini camp than, you know, than when we saw him last and everybody's talking about his extra confidence. I felt that when he came in to talk to us during this, his media session, just in that, I, I imagine you probably feel the same way in what you do. You can sense a different maturity, a confidence with people as they go through a, a process. I'm sure when you do, I mean, for you, it's a little bit different, but like when you're on sur- talking to people on Survivor and they come back for the second and third time as a player, you can probably feel some extra confidence because they've kind of gone through it before and they have a little better feel for what's going to happen. And I felt that with him, but we'll have to see it once the play um you know, once they get back out here, but like they're going to need it because, you know, we, as we've discussed, they don't have much depth. I guess my quest, my wonder is, I, don't, I it feels like it's a bit of an extreme with Damon Davis because his athleticism is what drives it. And last year, the struggle seemed to be grasping the scheme, the play to play, the how to deal with all those things. It feels like the extreme will be he either becomes a really good player or is more towards that underwhelming side i don't know if i'm ever gonna if we're gonna see a guy who's just gonna be a solid pro the way maybe we view kind of cole holcomb who's 
good. He's a he, he can run, but I don't think we're viewing Holcomb as like this. You know, wow, this is a Pro Bowl talent. Play to play, he's good. Happy he's in the lineup, but kind of there. Jamin Davis, it feels like it's either wow, this guy is going to be a dynamic sideline to sideline playmaker, or ugh. I think Washington needs a new linebacker going into 2023. So I maybe we, I don't know if we get those answers this year, but I feel like it's sort of the extremes on that front. I don't know if I ever see a guy who's just going to be a decent player. I think it's either really good or this isn't going to work. Right. What you're saying is he's got the skill set, And if he figures it out, if he puts it all together, he's going to be awesome. If he doesn't, but, but the other side of that is if he basically doesn't put it together and he's not going to be very good. There's, there's no like going to be functional player. I, I, I totally see that. Well, it's sort of, and it's sort of like, you know, it's just to, to tie into the wizards here. The, part of the criticism with the wizards draft in recent years is four or five years in a row, they've drafted a player who seems very solid, but not a, not a particular ton of upside in part because of the lack of athleticism. They, I think people would have been happier if they had drafted the Jamin Davis version of this extreme athlete who needs to sort of learn how to play because at least then that for, because of the athleticism, the, the ceiling is higher. Jamin Davis has a pretty good ceiling, but the floor is unsettled. And that is, I, and, and it maybe wouldn't be as big of a deal if they had more options there. If he can't stay on the field in a real way, not just because he was a first round pick, but like, because of the. The, the, the talent and they have a real questions because I don't know who the third linebacker is. I keep saying this over and over again. And that's why just for this year, forget does, is he ever good enough to be valued as a, do they get true value as a first round pick or whatever play to play? Is he going to be able to stay out there in ways that are just beyond? Well, somebody has to be out there. I think that's part of, for me, the big, the big question for him just this year. Other question for you, barring injuries, if everyone's healthy, who gets the most snaps at running back this season? It's a fun one, right? This is the, I'm starting to get into fantasy football. We're going to have a yep. fantasy football component here on this episode with you. Um, I think it's still, still Antonio Gibson. I, I, I just don't, you know, I, I would be surprised if that wasn't the case. I mean, he has been pretty productive his first two years. It's just the injuries and the fumbles last year, I think really kind of, had maybe gave them some pause as to, you know, I keep pointing out that the, you know, that four game winning streak they had, it wasn't just that they got hot. What was the fuel behind that? They won time of possession. Uh, They dominated time of possession in those games over the course of the season, their four best time of possession games, four of their five best were in that stretch. And that was where Gibson was his best. And I think they viewed that as a perfect complement between both sides is complimentary football. It kept the defense fresh. The defense played better, yada, yada, yada. But Gibson isn't giving you that every game because of these other variables. And whereas a guy like Brian Robinson doesn't didn't call off the ball up at Alabama, stayed on the field, I, I think it gives them that, you know, especially in the second half of games, if they have a lead, you know, well, they got to get the lead first. But if yeah. they, to, to help sort of keep them fresh, but you also have McKissick. So I would still say Gibson. I think for me, if we're talking like a fantasy football kind of world, I think I would put Robinson second because I am curious about the goal line. I don't know who the goal line back will be. We may not find that out until the season. I don't know if Rivera will, will, will spill those beans. That to me will be the interesting part. McKissick will play and he'll get some catches. He's valuable. But, you know, I mean, you got to keep Gibson on the field enough and you have Robinson already kind of eating into some of his roles. So I do kind of feel like um, there, there should be an opportunity for um, – for Robinson to be the second guy. 
we argue endlessly about Antonio Gibson on our podcast. And I'm, I'm not a big fan and not just the fumbling, although the fumbling primarily, but his vision I find lacking. I thought he was going to be much more explosive this year. And I thought that our, with a, with a line that I thought would not be as good as it ended up being like we, we, you know, I, I don't know how much I trust pro football focus on some of these numbers, Ben, honestly, but uh, especially when it comes to offensive line play, but they, they were certainly better than I thought they'd be. And he certainly was less productive than I hoped he would be. I mean, I was got really tired of seeing those stat lines where he's like, you know, 3.3 yards, you know, at 37 yards a game or whatever it was. Um, you know, so I don't know. I don't know nothing about Robinson. I don't watch college football. That's one thing I don't have time for. So I can't offer any opinion on him, but if we can get a guy that can like pick out his lanes and hit the hole quickly and hold on to the ball, I'm all for it. All right. Now what you do, part of the reason you don't have time is you're very focused on watching what, you know, America needs to know about. And that is survivor and big brother. When right now, big brother has just started over on CBS. Oh my God. It is. I mean, look, I think Dalton, Dalton acknowledges as well. It is the absolute stupidest thing we probably do with our time. It's, it, it isn't just like survivors on one hour a week. Big brother is three hours a week. And that's not even counting. If, you, if you're a live feed watcher, I am not, I don't know if you bother with that either. Uh, and yet here we are, what is it? 20 years in? No, no, 20. This is season 24. Um, so we, it, we keep watching it. Um, I will admit though, I'm struggling this year. I have, this has not gotten off to a good start for me, partly from where I'm at in my own head world right now i've i've been struggling we don't need to get into the game like the weeds of like what's happening and who's had a household but like could you i don't know can you can you motivate me to am i missing something here can you motivate me to to to, to stay to stay in the game here so for your listeners that don't watch a lot of reality tv uh ben just brought up survivor and big brother and those are good places to start because i feel like they're at polar uh opposites uh when it comes to ends on the spectrum Survivor, uh, they both started in the summer of 2000. Uh, Survivor came on first, May 31st, 2000. And Survivor is an incredibly exciting, well-produced, incredibly shot television show. And if you haven't watched it and you're really into sports, which I assume you are if you're listening to this podcast, I really encourage you to give Survivor a try because I think you'll like it. All my sports friends, when I get them to watch it, they end up loving it because it's competition. And their strategy, a lot of the same things that you see in football. And they do these physical challenges. And it's really, really the gold standard in terms of television production. Big Brother's the complete opposite. Big Brother's a total S show. It's trashy. It's cheesy. But that's kind of the appeal of it is what a, what a hot mess it is, Ben. Yes. Like, I've been watching Big Brother all 24 seasons. And the first season was just hilariously inept. And they retooled it after that. But it's... It's still a mess. I mean, like, so they do this live premiere. So it's like a 90 minute live premiere where it's live. The contestants are moving in the house and Big Brother's basically 16 people move in a house. They vote each other out. One person wins a bunch of money. Very basic. But while they're there, they do like the, they, they put them through the dumbest competition. They literally have a competition that is who can strip out of their clothes the fastest. They used to have one where it's like, put it like wear a bikini or like briefs and like stuff as much jello as you can into them. Like it's literally that trashy. So they, they did this live premiere and it had to be the most boring hour of TV ever made. It was like 90 minutes of people scanning tickets and just like walking through a house. I, I, and like, I, I watched it 
when I was in uh, on my trip. So I was away for about 10 days. And if you said to me, what was your, what was the boringest 90 minutes you spent while you were away? I would have picked that. If you're asking me why was I watching? I was like, well, you know, I had some downtime. I, I couldn't be at all the time. Oh my God. It was so terrible. I think I was texting you. Just like, I can't believe how bad this is. But that's the weird thing, Ben, because you may not admit it, but that's the appeal of the show. The appeal of the show is that it's, a, it's such a train wreck, but even a train wreck in like, like you're just like fascinated by the fact that they're airing this. Like, why are they putting this on television? Why are they doing, they're doing 90 minutes of people just walking through a house and scanning a ticket. And like, they're all talking at the same time and you can't really understand what's going on. And it's fascinating. It's a fascinating document. They, they, then they make, they make the contestants do these things throughout the season where they have to like dress up like a hot dog for a week or be like chained to another player in like a pirate costume. And it's just so freaking dumb. And I and like the contestants are trashy. The competitions are trashy. They did one last night. Uh, again, we're recording this on Monday. So on the Sunday night episode, it's on like 312 times a week, this show. On the Sunday night episode, they were asking the contestants trivia questions. Then they had to like basically like root through a pie with just their mouth to find a T for true or an F for false. And then like, ding it on a buzzer, which is so stupid to begin with. But the trivia questions, like like anytime they ask a big brother question, a trivia question, it's like they're grading on a curve with the question. Like they're the easiest questions for the dumbest people. One of the questions was literally, what color is your refrigerator? Yes. I mean, it's like literally that's the trivia question. And it's, I just find it fascinating. I can't watch. It's a miracle my wife has not divorced me after 24 seasons of watching this nonsense. And like, thousands upon thousands of hours and so i reckon the way i recommend everyone watch survivor because i do think it, it, it does have appeal 100 i would not i would not recommend anyone watch big brother i love it you love it it's for us but there's like there's like a screw loose in our brain or a chip malfunctioning and you need that malfunctioning chip to enjoy this show right. i mean basically this is maybe a, a crude analogy but it's sort of like and I'm not saying all the contestants are like the people who are in Jersey Shore or any or the Hills or any of these types of shows, but it's like if it's, it's like that type of thing, except the producers are making them do games like you're, right. you're, you're seeing these narcissistic people or these people from different walks of life to some degree. And but they're not just hanging out and flirting or whatever or yelling. At each other. No, they're doing some of those things, but they also have to have a pie eating contest and then they have to. uh do these other things and it does become the part that becomes the sport is when it's the strategy comes into play and they have to make determination who who's telling them the truth who's not who to vote out who not whatever and that does become the point for me that's ultimately the, the most fun but you're right the <laughs> the rest of it is just so so inane uh but but you do a, a a fun job of course covering that and everything else um but then hold on i gotta stop you because you yeah. said the strategy is the fun part for you how much strategy well, do we really see on this show? That's I, the funny thing, because these are like, unlike Survivor, we have some really good, smart strategists. This is like, you said it, these are like influencers or influencer wannabes. Like they go, literally one of the kids in the show this year is a TikTok dance guy. I mean, like it's, there's really, and there's not even a lot of room for strategy on the show because there are all these insane twists that will undo anything you do. Whereas all of a sudden there's gonna be a backstage boss. That's literally the name of a twist they did this year. And it was just going to undo everything. Um, 
it's just, it, it's an S show. So like, yeah, I could give you a million other examples of things that have gone off the rails already in one week on this show. We had to watch the same competition done seven times in a row on Thursday night, just because of a, a malfunction with the show. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. No. And, and we didn't even mention like, you know, the, the biggest difference I think between the two shows is the hosts. Uh, Jeff Probst is a, is a, is a world-class host who, 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 who's paying attention. He's engaged. I mean, he's also kind of really running the show. He's he, he's really good at like listening to this, the, the contestants, getting them to you know reveal things, whatever. And Julie Chen, it's like she doesn't have no idea what is even happening until she walks out onto the stage and talks. And uh, it, she, she has no engagement. She, and because she's doing it live, whereas for probes, it's taped. But he's doing it live in the moment when they're discussing yes. it. But like it's not live to 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 the viewers. Julie Chen is doing a lot of it live, and she's not the most spontaneous person which is why julie chen is i love the chen bot she and, and that was a nickname given to her because she was so robotic and she embraced it um she's the perfect host for that show and you know what i love too because i do these weekly q a's with her she's really kind of let loose in the past like ones where she's basically like i'll ask her like so what what can you tease in terms of this twist of how it's gonna play out she goes i have no idea they haven't told me yet like she's just embracing it. She's not trying to hide it. She's like, yeah, no, they they haven't they haven't told me how this is going to play out. No idea. And I'm like, God bless you, Julie Chen. I love that so much because any other host would like pretend like they knew or say something cryptic, and she's just embraced the fact. Like, yep, you know, I walk in, they tell me what I need to know at that point, and it's go time. Um, I haven't. Uh, I, sometimes I do pools for these things. I did one for Survivor, and and uh, I won that with my friends. I have not made an actual pick here yet uh, just because I was away and I haven't really thought about it. Um, and I'm curious, you probably have already done it and I just haven't seen it. I'm going to go with Nicole, the cop as my winner. It feels like she's the one, like the normal person in the house. And maybe that's what, what I'm gravitating towards. Like she seems like a person who could like, you, you like you could let her watch your kids and feel okay. The rest of them, probably not, but her, you probably could. So I'm going Nicole, the cop as the winner. Do you have a winner pick? She's a private chef. Uh, oh, she was right. She uh, was a cop, cop. and now she's a private uh, chef, right? Uh, so you know, it, I I always famously do a, a winner pick for Survivor um, at the start of every season. I really don't do it for Big Brother. I don't like lock in an official pick. So I can tell you who I'm rooting for. I don't know if he's necessarily going to win, but I'm rooting for Michael. And you should be rooting for Michael too, Ben, because he's a big cat guy. He also uh, has, I think, three cats. He walked into the house wearing a big cat shirt. He's an attorney. He is a super fan. Uh, we saw him put on the block in the first week. He then uh, won the quote unquote floppy Lance competition. That is an actual competition that happened, a floppy Lance. I'm not going to say anything more about it. And he then performed well. He got to the finals of the next HOH competition. So he doesn't look like an athletic guy, but he clearly is very athletic. And he's a super fan. And now he's in an alliance. So I'm definitely pulling for Michael. All right. I, I like that. Um, I'm always pulling for people to go check out Dalton's work, wherever it is. Entertainment Weekly, the Surviving Snyder podcast. Uh, you know, I, I could have D Dalton on every week talking about whatever, because he's uh, a thoughtful guy. That, that this, is, this is why I brought you on, because I needed somebody to look at look at the globe that we're all the snow globe. We're all looking at but like shake it up a little bit, point it in a different direction. And you did that as expected. Uh, my guy, I appreciate it. Well, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the intro off. I feel if anyone wants to sort of preliminarily just listen to Ben's intro again, go listen to our intro on Surviving Snyder. Give us your thoughts. I think they're both strong candidates. 
I feel like they're both going to be like maybe the one and two seed going into the big competition, but that's for you to decide, Ben. All right, deal. Uh, uh, he's at Dalton Ross on Twitter. Uh, I'll mention that in the intro. But uh, my guy, thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it.